Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. Well, Anthony, in our last episode, we talked about emotional intelligence. One of the ideas we talked about there is that relationships are a bridge that can hold the weight of the gospel. So one thing I think we need to have to connect holistically as we think about frontier missions is that the bridge that we need to build is not solely from us to a frontier person, um, but instead from Jesus and his kingdom to the person we're building towards. Uh, So we have to have a bridge from Jesus to ourselves that we have to have relationship with Jesus so that we can build those bridges to others. And again, thinking about how we want to work uh, to reach the frontier peoples, we should build that bridge to Jesus the way that we want to build the bridge uh, to frontier people through relationship. And that relationship that we have with Jesus really uh, is built and grows through prayer. Um, Now, in your notes that you had for this episode, Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this because we're going to talk about how we see prayer working in Jesus's life and in the uh, early work of the apostles. Jason, this is, you know, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, I remember back when I was, you know, studying and thinking about missiology and, you know, how do we go about what we need to, to do? You know, we talk, you know, you learn a, a lot about methodology and about communication theory, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's important to get all the, you know, the missiological concepts and ideas in. But, you know, we can't ever forget that the starting point and indeed what's needed at every point along the way is prayer. Um, and, and the reason this is so is because we're following Jesus as we go. You know, when we go into the frontier world, you know, we're not going ourselves alone. We're following Jesus. He's leading us there. And so um, as the, you know, the Apostle John in his first letter told us that, you know, we're to live and walk as Jesus lived and walked. And in his life and work, Jesus was completely dependent on the Father. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said he could do nothing on his own. You know, he had to do what he saw his Father doing. And then in John 15, 5, Jesus tells us that we can do nothing on our own. Um, you know, we have to live and work in such a way that demonstrates our dependence on Jesus and the Father. So the question is, how how do we do that? Well, Luke helps us answer that question. Um, He shows us that Jesus expressed his dependence on the Father through prayer. Now, how does he do that? He develops this theme of prayer throughout Luke and throughout Acts. And as we follow that theme, throughout Luke and Acts, we see that every critical point in the life of Jesus and every critical point in the life of the church, they were praying. He was praying and the church was praying. So let's 
look at Luke chapter one. The angel is appearing to Zechariah. But when is the angel appearing to Zechariah? It's when the people were gathered together praying in verse 10. And then in chapter two, we see that the prophetess, Anna, was daily worshiping in the temple with fasting and prayer night and day. And that's Luke 2.37. <clears throat> so, you know, the theme of prayer is slowly developing in Luke. And then we get to chapter three. And Luke is the only one who points this out. When at Jesus' baptism, it says the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus when he was praying. That's Luke 3, 21 and 22. And Luke goes on to say in Luke chapter 5, that Jesus' habit was to withdraw to desolate places and pray. And in chapter 6, we see that Jesus spent the night in prayer before he chose the 12 disciples. It was during a time of prayer that Peter makes his remarkable, remarkable confession that Jesus was the Christ. And this is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20. And the transfiguration happens in Luke 9, 28 to 31, during a time of prayer. When the 72 disciples returned from their time of itinerant ministry, they told Jesus how amazed they were that the demons were subject to them in his name. And Jesus immediately and spontaneously bursts out in joyful prayer, thanking the Father for revealing Jesus' authority to his 72 disciples. That's Luke chapter 10. As, as you notice, it's almost every single chapter, something significant about prayer and significant happening in the life of in Jesus and his disciples. This is coming out. And then in Jesus' darkest hour in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying, expressing his absolute submission to God and his reliance on the Father. That's Luke 22, uh, 39 to 46. And the writer of Hebrews speaks of this event, highlighting Jesus' dependence, telling us that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, Hebrews 5, 7. So, um, you know, we have to sit back and go, why did Luke make such an emphasis on this? And it's, he did so that, so that we would follow Jesus' example. You know, we all know that Jesus was, was God. You know, so in a sense, we say, oh, he's God. He can just do anything. But as a human being, you know, he lived in absolute dependence on the Father. And so as a human being, he ensured that he was in no way self-reliant. He lived in absolute dependence on the Father, staying in constant communication with the Father, looking for guidance and looking for strength. And as we go into the book of Acts, Luke shows us that Jesus' disciples carried this life of prayer and dependence forward. At key events in the book, the, the apostles and the church were praying. And the theme of prayer begins in, Acts, in the first chapter of Acts. 
It's in verse 14. He emphasized, Luke emphasizes the importance of prayer in the lives of the disciples by, by recording that they were devoted to prayer. And he actually adds to this by saying that they were of one accord in their attitude toward prayer. So, um, you know, Luke follows this up again in, Luke, in uh, Acts chapter one by saying they were in prayer when they chose Matthias to replace Judas. And in Acts chapter six, the apostles chose the seven deacons to serve in order that they may remain devoted to prayer. Stephen's last act of his life was to pray in Acts 7.59. And it was while Saul was praying that he received a vision that a man named Ananias would come to him and pray for him so that he could regain his sight. That's Acts chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And it was while Peter was praying that Tabitha was raised from the dead, also in Acts chapter 9. And it was while Peter was praying at noon that he received the vision to go to Cornelius's house. And it was by fasting and prayer that Barnabas and Saul were commissioned and sent out on their first missionary journey. And if you continue throughout Acts, you just see that this theme of prayer surfaces. You know, this is not just recorded so that we can say, oh, this is what they did. No, this was recorded in order to instruct us and guide us that prayer is supposed to shape us and characterize our lives as we seek to represent Jesus to the world. And, you know, it's, it's prayer, bringing prayer into our daily lives. For You know, I think of the example of Christy Wilson. Christy Wilson was this, you know, this incredible man of God, uh, you know, along with his wife, they went to Afghanistan to work. You know, prayer characterized his life. Even after he, you know, left Afghanistan, came back to the United States, was a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. You know, if you talk to anybody who knew Christy Wilson, and unfortunately, I never had the privilege to meet Christy Wilson. But if you talk to anyone who knew him, you know, one of the key things that they said was, oh, he was a man of prayer. He prayed for people. He prayed for the students that were coming in every year. He would pray for them individually. He would know their names and pray for them. So one time, a friend of mine, uh, you know, uh, he was working in, in a development project. And uh, this Afghan came and uh, was looking for, you know, assistance and help. And uh, my friend was going to go from the office down to the, the city and he offered to give the Afghan guy a ride to the city because he was going there too. So they got in the car and uh, he started the car and he started back out of <laughs> back out of the house. And the guy looked at him and said, are you a Christian? And he looked at the Afghan and he said, yeah. And he said, well, why don't, why aren't you, why didn't you pray before you started the car? He said, because I, he knew Christy Wilson personally, this Afghan did. And he said he was a Christian and he never drove anywhere without praying first. <laughs> so my friend felt pretty, you know, a bit, a bit embarrassed, you know, because he wasn't, and the reason Christy Wilson did that is because he didn't take protection on the road for granted. 
uh, he had grown up in Iran and a lot of Iranian workers, both expatriate and um, Christian Iranians, uh, one of the major sources of death in Iran was car accidents. So <laughs> same thing too, as I guess in Afghanistan. So Christy Wilson never took it for granted safety on the road. He prayed every time he got in a car. That was just his habit. Lord, protect us as we go. And prayer was just a characteristic of Christie's life. Well, prayer should really be a characteristic of our lives as well. I mean, some people just get into the, the habit of, you know, prayer is just sort of something you do at certain times rather than becoming a lifestyle. And uh, like you said, we're in a relationship. We're in a relationship with God. This is the unbelievable opportunity that Jesus has opened up for us that we could know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know them. They, we don't just know them. They live within us. And so since this, you know, this one God in three persons dwells within us, um, we have just this opportunity to have constant communion with him. Um, one of the, you know, formative books in my life as an early believer was The Practice of the Presence of God by um, Brother Lawrence. It's only, you know, about 90 pages, big print. So it's very easy to read through. And his whole, you know, goal in life was to, to experience the presence of God every day, all day long. He was a monk, you know, and he, he actually uh, was somewhat physically challenged. So, but he was, he worked in the kitchen of the monastery, you know, so he had to work all day long, but he realized that in my, in this work, I want to, you know, develop the understanding that I am constantly in the presence of God and to, to kind of revel in that, um, enjoy that and just just value this unbelievable gift that we have that Jesus has given to us, that we can live out our lives in God's presence. You know, so that kind of formed my, my thinking as well. And so it's, prayer isn't just something, you know, petition. It's just walking with God through the day. You know, it's, we don't even have to be talking with him. It's just aware, this awareness that and I live and move and breathe in the presence of God. And of course, when you're, when you're aware of that, if situations come up, there's a need that's mentioned. Prayer, you know, praying about it, talking to God about it, just becomes natural. And it's that, it's that naturalness that um, in the frontier world, whether we're working with um, whoever we're working with, uh, they just, they, they see that. They see that we are a people who live in the presence of God, in dependence upon God. He's the one who anoints the gifts and the talents that he's given us so that they, that actually whatever, you know, comes to us gifting through our DNA and our personalities, that, you know, just, God just blesses that. And we, you know, so much more happens 
when we we get involved in the in the things that we're doing and um you know it's our privilege it's our honor to live and work in complete dependence on the lord and to live and work in his presence constant presence and so uh taking you know advantage of that taking not advantage but just taking a hold of that unbelievable gift that's been given to us is you know it, it just transforms our life and you know our own personal joy i mean because in his presence as the psalmist says there is fullness of joy and you know when you capture this and begin to live it out there is a dimension of joy that comes in that again is another theme in both luke and acts the joy of being with god and and john himself it's a theme in the the gospel of john and um and in the you know first epistle you know he says i write these things to you so that your joy our joy may be complete um just in the opening verses of first john so there is a there's a joy that comes to us because we realize we're walking in the presence of god and a and a liberty that you know it just it's just ours because we're his children and taking a hold of that is something we you know you know some people get so caught up in the work that they lose sight of the you know the the beauty of the relationship you know one thing i never wanted to do was to work for god i wanted to work with god <laughs> and that that is you know the the beauty and the the glory of of being in Christ. You know the, this. You know Paul says. You know the hope of glory is Christ in us, and so let's um, let's capturing that and living that out is such a joy, especially when you're doing it wherever we are. It's so it's such a beautiful thing. I thought about while you were saying that I thought about a quote that I've heard from I, I really feel like it's Martin Luther who said, uh, my work is prayer and being with God. I have, I'm trying to think of how he said it, but it was, he spent three to four hours a day in prayer. And he considered that the most important part of his day. And since I heard that several years ago, I think about how I often, too often, consider prayer just the perfunctory, I'm going to say my words and then move on with my day so I can even do work that God has called me to do, but I'm going to go and do that work instead of I am going to work, work with God and spend time uh, within with God in his presence. Yeah, see that, you know, the, that quote by Martin Luther, you know, he would get up, at, if he had a really busy day, he'd get up even more early to spend more time with God. And that kind of shaped my early thinking. Um, but then I, what happened to me is I compartmentalized prayer into that time. And if I didn't wake up to get that time, then I, I felt at a loss the rest of the day. And the Brother Lawrence paradigm, where you just, you go through the day with God. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have that special component time. But, 
you bring God into what you're doing. I mean, that transformed me. I didn't, I didn't, I no longer was it compartmentalized. Did I get that supercharge in the morning so that I could go through the day? I just was constantly connected to the source of power uh, throughout the day. You know, so I, I wasn't storing up my battery so that I could go all day. I I was stayed constant. And um and oh man, that was just such a that was transformative for me. I I tell you it. Uh, and I realized people and, and initially, you know, because I was in Bible school, and you know, people would bring something up at the table. We we're sitting around the lunch table talking, and somebody would bring up a need, and I'd sit there and say, "Well, let's pray about that right now." You know, and people, that's really kind of weird. You know, but to me, that was just so normal. Let's just pray about this. You just brought the need up. Let's not you know, just think about, because to be honest, in five minutes after we left that table, I would, if I said, I'm going to pray about that, I would have forgotten we even had the conversation. So, you know, I, for me, it was just like, let's pray about this right now. So people got used to, maybe they thought it was a bit weird, because I just brought prayer into my daily life. Uh, and that wasn't something that, that was normal for them. But for me, it's just so normal that I don't even, if people feel weird about it, they, you know, the nice thing about Americans is if they feel weird about something, they just hold it in and don't say anything. <laughs> but I just hoping they're not feeling weird because that's just how I live out my life. Well, and I think that that's another, the, this is how you live your life. That's another important thing to connect uh, with ministry and frontier contexts, because oh, yeah. uh, a lot of cultures have very prescribed, defined modes of prayer, ways that you have to do it, uh, places, words, you know, just very defined. And like your story with uh, Christy Wilson illustrates that when people bring prayer as part of their natural life experience, uh, that leads to expectations and that leads to people saying, I can see how you are distinctive and, and different because of this mode of prayer that you have. Yeah. I mean, not that we want to pray performatively so that people, you right. know, inquire, but I, I just think that we in the West, when we do those same compartmentalization, you know, we may think, oh, we don't have the specific words that we have to say or anything. But your your story about sitting around the table at Bible college and praying not at prayer time, you know, shows that we we have the same things. But are there are there other ways that we need to think about prayer in frontier contexts and think about how the way that we need to pray differs from maybe the way that the people in those cultures pray and how we can connect our prayer to Jesus and the gospel in their hearts and their minds. Yeah. And, and, and the key is to, you know, to get permission for things, you know, so you say, is it okay if I pray right now? I mean, at a Bible school, it should be, have been always okay to pray. But, you know, but the beautiful thing is, because in the, in the Muslim, the Buddhist, and the Hindu worlds, the world is religious. You know, the worldview is religious. And so to be religious is not different. Everybody is in some, in some manner, because religion shapes it. It's, it's like 
even back in the 1800s, the 1700s, you read the literature of, you know, Byron and those kind of guys, you know, they were totally irreligious in a number of ways, but they have a lot of Bible imagery in what they've written. Why is that is because it was a religious worldview. It was a Christian religious worldview, but it was religious. And so they naturally brought in religious metaphors and etc., cetera, uh, biblical imagery to communicate because that was just part of everybody's world. And so in the frontier areas, people are religious. And so it isn't weird to be religious, to be a person of faith. That's not, that's just normal. Um, it's just, you might, your faith might be different, but people are people of faith in some manner, shape or form, because it's, it, it, and that's what makes living and working over there so much so much fun and freer because you can just be who you are. You don't have to, you don't have to take on a secular quote personage, you know, because everybody's religious to some degree. I mean, they may, you know, they may be very religious or they may be not very religious, but everybody is in some manner, shape or form because it's a religious context, you know, and, oh man, that's, I, I love the freedom that we had just to be who we were in those contexts. But amazingly enough, we live here in the USA now and we have a lot of freedom here too. It's, you know, again, it's just, you can do it in ways that are not obtrusive. <laughs> it's just, so, yeah. you know, if it's just who you are, people get, oh, this is who they are, you know? And if it's done in a socially, like if you have emotional intelligence, if it's done, a, if you live out your lives in appropriate manners, then it's who you are. I, oh man, but being dependent on God and expressing that dependence through constant communion and through prayer is just our privilege as the children of God. I was thinking as we were talking and as I was reading your notes earlier, I was thinking, why do I sometimes feel awkward being in public and praying. And I was thinking that I think that I overly internalized uh, one of Jesus's teachings about when you pray, don't be like the heathens who go pray on street corners in public, mm -hmm. you know, but go and close the, you know, go into your closet and close the door and pray quietly. And I was, I, I was pondering that and just pondering the idea, Jesus, when he's saying that is not saying never pray in public but he's saying you're not praying to be seen by other people you're praying to be in communion with with god you're praying to build that relationship not to shout to everyone how how holy how, yeah i mean because even jesus prayed openly you know if we read it watch follow him through his life he prays quite openly in front of everybody in this instance, the immediate comes to mind is when he's going to the tomb, he's at the tomb of Lazarus, he's about to call him forth, and so he openly prays. I mean, Jesus openly prayed, but again, it wasn't to display his religiosity. It was just an expression of his dependence on the Father. It was a natural thing that he did, and again, that's that's what we want to be, is just to be naturally realizing that we're living in the presence of God, and we're, you know, naturally walking through, through life with our Father, with our Lord, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and that's the beauty. For, for example, at one time I was working on my PhD and, um, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I don't, I don't want to do a PhD so just so I can do a PhD and, you know, be some kind of, you know, put a scholar by my name. I, I'm really not into titles and into these letters at the end of my name. I said, I'll only do it if, if this is really your will for my life. And I want to do it with you. I don't want to just do it on my own. Uh, that was really important to me. I didn't want to do that on my own because, again, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time investment. It's a lot of mental energy to, to do a PhD. And I remember I was walking through the the book, you know, the uh, library, and I'm going through these, through the, the, you know, walking through the bookshelves. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eyes, somehow I, a book stood out to me. So I turned and I, I looked at it and it was, I pulled it out of the shelf and I was flipping through it. And I actually needed that book for what I was researching. And I had no idea. It didn't even surface on my mind. And I realized, wow, this is the Lord's, the Spirit's just helping me even right now to notice this book. And I'm going to, I ended up quoting it in my dissertation, but I had no idea that that book even existed. So in those, you know, small ways, that, you know, but they were significant. The spirit helped me to know, you know, I'm with you in this and we're doing this together, you know, and that's our privilege as the children of God uh, to, to, to walk in his presence and to work together. You know, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, working together with the Lord. And, oh, I love that that little phrase working together it's our birthright in a sense so um because we're born of god when you capture that it it just transforms a person's experience in you know we get a bit a bit of taste of that abundant life that jesus said i came that they might have life and have it abundantly and i think that's one of the ways into that abundant living is realizing we are in his presence all the time. I was very excited to record this episode, and I'm very excited to continue thinking uh, more about a lot of these topics that you've brought up, um, just thinking for myself more about how I can daily be with God, constantly in prayer and constantly in his presence. Thank you, Anthony. God be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now receive a good word. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.